This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is Bob Moritz, Chairman and Senior Partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, the U.S. member of PwC International. We plan to speak about two topics, leadership and financial literacy. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here today. Happy to be here. So you've been in your current role of Chairman of PricewaterhouseCoopers since July of 2009. That's correct. Uh, but I wonder if you could tell our audience about your earliest experience of leadership, what was that like? Probably the earliest example of leadership was when I used to work back at home during high school and college years. Uh, Believe it or not, I worked at a women's clothing store. (laughs) My role model was in charge of uh, the back office, so to speak, uh, responsible for delivery, stock, uh, management of the, the office and the functions. And over the first couple of years, while he was a, clearly a role model, someone people that sought out, I ended up eventually becoming that person, probably by the time I was a sophomore, perhaps, uh, in college at that point in time. So it gave me a chance to see what it was like to be that sought-after individual, to have uh, the responsibility to look after other people, and the responsibility for the accountability of getting the job done each and every day in the right way possible. Now, based on that early experience, how did that shape the kind of leader you became? And, and did you believe that leadership is something that's inborn or it's something that you learned? I personally believe leadership can be learned. As I think about my own career progression, starting with the time I was at this clothing store, I saw many different examples of people that inspired me, shaped me, and even sponsored me in my own career progression. And if you have the right mindset where every opportunity is a learning opportunity, you do have the opportunity to grow into and learn examples of how to do things and not do things. And that goes both to management and leadership responsibilities. So in that particular role, I think it did give me an appreciation of what others do, how they do it, the personalities associated with it, And how do you think about pulling the strings to get the most out of people to get an effective team to operate as appropriately as possible? And for you to get some credit, um, not from a compensation perspective, but rather from a self-fulfillment perspective in terms of what's it like to have a high-performing team and you actually be a major role player in that team. And that means one day you might be leading it, one day you might be supporting it, one day you might be part of it. But that's the interesting part of leadership. It's not necessarily just by those that have a title. It's by the acting and the behaviors that people bring to the job each and every day. Right. Now, in, in looking <clears throat> over your, your, your uh, bio, one of the things that I found really interesting is that you spent three years uh, in PwC's Tokyo office. Uh, how was leading in Japan and in Asian culture different than leading in the U.S.? Much different. Um, it really was an inflection point in my career to understand for the first time ever personally being outside of the States, to interact with business, and for that matter, a culture uh, that was much different than I was used to uh, from a Western civilization. So the first challenge was, how do you become accepted? Um, And it taught me, honestly, the first learnings I ever equated to around the concept of diversity. Because in Japan, I was the minority. 
without changing skin color or gender or anything else associated with it. Um, second was the responsibilities that were provided to you. You could choose to work 24-7 or you can choose to self-correct work versus life um, and make each one of those personal and professional opportunities a leadership uh, responsibility and a balancing act that you have to take responsibility for. And third, the position itself gave me a higher obligation, higher sense of purpose. I was sent there to serve our U.S. and European uh, institutions, particularly with a focus on the financial institutions, but on a self-initiated way to then interact with the Japanese, the Japanese government agencies and other things like that, which was all part of what I'll call an innate obligation to serve a higher responsibility, which I think really helped position me to understand a life outside of the U.S., help understand the concepts of diversity, and for that matter, understand and appreciate the concepts of responsibility and people's belief in you that you can be accountable for those things, and then it's up to you to actually dictate what you want to do with them and how you want to do it. So as, as you just said, it helped uh, redefine the way you looked at diversity. How, how has that translated into the way you lead PwC today? So it, it has translated into sort of three different things. Um, diversity in and of itself and inclusiveness is a huge priority for me personally. Um, it's something I speak about all the time. Um, and that could be across cultures, gender, race, uh, sexual orientation, doesn't matter. Um, and as a result, we, PwC, try to then profile ourselves as we think about the type of people we're recruiting and the inclusive environment for them to individually succeed. And I have to role model that. I have to lead that from the front. And as a result, that's why I look to have a very diverse team because at the end of the day, diverse teams give you the best thinking. The best thinking gives you the best actions. And ultimately, the best results, I think, is proven by some uh, many different academic studies and the like. The second thing, though, is how do you allow for an organization like us, even though I oversee the U.S. operations, I still have a global responsibility. So making sure that our under pe understand, people understand the cultural aspect of doing business globally and not making any assumptions about what is said or unsaid is hugely important. So there's times where you need to set the right environment. There's times you need to actually interject and course correct. There's times you need to let people learn on their own or sometimes interject to help them learn. And that's hugely important as you think about a professional service firm like PwC, having the best talent. The only way you're gonna have the best talent is to have the most diverse talent. So I've gotta lead that by example from the front. So based on what you said, uh, I, I guess a very important aspect would be uh, to develop uh, a leadership style that would be effective globally. Uh, how, how would you define your own leadership style and how did you consciously develop it? I think leadership styles develop both by conscious dedication and change, but also by a lot of unconscious things that happen uh, because at the end of the day, there's again human behavior. There were three things that really impacted me as I had my career progression. One was I actually spent a year in the human capital function. So as a professional services firm, it was a great opportunity to see the other side. How do you meet, understand, and develop a relationship with people to understand what they want, figure out a way to match that with what you need, and how do you get the two together to inspire the most and get the highest performance out of people so they can reach their fullest potential? Great learning opportunity that allowed me to then apply those same learnings at that point in time at a very junior age later on in career path. Japan was another one. And the, the last one was probably the events in 2001, where you had the combination of the demise of Anderson, Rollcom and Enron, 
You saw people with tears in their eyes that lost everything. Um, you also saw the events of 9-11. And it gave you, as a leader, a higher moral obligation to protect and serve. So my style is very inclusive and more consensus building. You have to strike the right balance between consensus building and decision making. Second is transparency. The average age of our organization is 29. No one probably appreciates that when they think about an organization like PwC. So I've got to turn the place upside down and engage everyone as if they're coming off a of campus in the creation of our strategy, an understanding of our strategy, and then their role in playing a role in the strategy and its execution. So rather than me just talk from the top down, I actually want to engage from the bottoms up. So making sure that communication and transparency is visible to all of our employees because as I said, if I can get 39,000 people doing a little bit better each and every day, the place has un unbelievable exponential potential. And the last piece is how do you, uh, as best you can, coach people individually and spend some time? And you do that in our organization with four key behaviors. You've got to have a relationship. Relationships take time. You've got to deliver value. That's value to the person next to you, to the left or right that you are able to invest in the long-term and team together. You're both in this together. In our firm, uh, professional services firm, I would argue, we're not an individual sport, it's a team sport. And last but not least is you have to have, to, uh, have a degree of empathy. You, and if you're gonna have empathy for the person's situation, you need to have a relationship, so that trust becomes really important, and you need to actually deliver some value to that person that helps them along the way. So those behavioral aspects are really important. So that's the other element of leadership in terms of how do you demonstrate that more and more each and every day on a consistent basis. So you've described your leadership principles. How do you apply these to developing leaders within PwC? So PwC has a huge responsibility to enhance someone's resume, regardless if they stay or go from our organization. I say many times we're an extension of the universities and colleges around the world. Uh, in terms of the learnings that people can uh, achieve on campus and we continue off campus. So I've got to create the right environment for learning. I've got to create the right expectation of our leaders to engage with those right behaviors. And as needed, put programs in place to help people's individual development. Because in every one, there is a leader in some way, shape, or form. Title or not does not matter. And as a result, how do you lead by example? How do you coach appropriately when needed? How do you challenge respectfully to improve people's behaviors and ultimately performance and get them to aspire to be something they never thought they were capable of themselves and inspire them enough to succeed? And that's the kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations that has to happen. That has, that's the role modeling when you're in front of large groups of people to talk about the world and its possibilities and how they play a role. And that ties together engagement of strategy, individual role playing, their individual performance, and then hopefully the development of leaders. It's amazing how many people have left our organization uh, for the right reasons to go on other things that are CEOs, CFOs, board members, and the like. I'd actually at times when you look at the facts, we're probably as good um, as the Goldman's and the General Alexis of the world that have at some point in time within PwC and have left us to go on and do great things or stay with PwC and do some great things inside the firm. That's, that's, that's great. Uh, now, when you try to recruit people for senior leadership roles, what attributes do you look for? 
So I've done this recently with my own leadership team. Uh, what I look for in terms of attributes is someone who's going to demonstrate behaviors that I expect. Um, I'm going to look for somebody who serves, not somebody who should be served themselves. Um, I look for agility. I look for how did you deal with a challenging issue in front of you and what did you do to work your way through it up until the point of making decisions and what did you do thereafter? And how did you yourself coach others along the way? So this is not about your own self-image. It's around a learning opportunity for everybody else around you. So I look for those key themes and typically in a recruiting process try to get to examples of that. The last thing I do look for is I'm always recruiting for best athlete. Um, while they may be recruited for a particular role, I want to make sure they have an understanding of the culture and whether culturally they fit in PwC. And I also want to ask that question because I'm hoping at whatever age they may be, it's for a lifetime. So I'm looking to say this is only an option of a role that will create multiple options for many different roles over your career path. And I know in today's generation, people will leave jobs many times over. We continue to say two things. If you stay two years versus six years at PwC, you probably have a 10 times multiple of career earnings and a 10 times multiple of uh, career progression. The other thing we say is that you can have many different opportunities in PwC because of the things we do without ever leaving. And that's what we want to make sure happens even with our senior people as we recruit out in the marketplace. Now, I'm going to take one of the things that you just said and turn it back at you. Mm -hmm. During your leadership career, what would you say is the most challenging uh, or the biggest challenge that you, you ever faced? How did you overcome it? And what did you learn from it? Probably the biggest challenge I ever had to deal with was the events of 9-11. I was just responsible for our financial services practice. Any given day, we've got 250 people in the World Trade Centers. I'm working on various clients. Thankfully, that day, we had two training sessions. A lot of people had left the World Trade Centers. A couple of us were at a training event across the river in New Jersey. Someone walked in and said a plane had hit the first tower. A lot of us went outside. We saw the second plane hit the tower, and then we saw both towers come down from afar. Cell phones didn't work, and from a personal perspective, I knew my family and friends were generally safe. But I had, as a leader now, 250 people that I had no idea where they were. Huge challenge in terms of what do you do? How do you organize people to track everybody down? How do you decide what to do and when to do it? And thankfully that day, all of our people got out of the building. We had about 60 people in the building. They all got out. Everyone was safe that was in the buildings. Unfortunately, because of our size and scale, we did have six people on the planes that lost their lives that day. The most challenging thing was day two. We closed the office down, but three of us went into the office to plan out how will we track everybody down from a personal perspective and what will we do with our clients thereafter. And it was always people first. By the afternoon became the most challenging point. If you hadn't heard from those people, at what point in time did you call mom or dad to say, we've not heard from your son or daughter, have you? It might not have been top of mind for them to call us, but worse fears might be that they're under rubble. So the learnings then, which I do equate to going back to my time in human capital and the HR function, was how do you make sure you take care of people first? And if you do that, the rest will actually be 
taking care of itself. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest challenges I've ever dealt with from an emotional perspective, a leadership perspective, and then making the tough calls in terms of what to do and what not to do and when to do it. Sure. Well, that's, uh, that's a great answer. Uh, and one thing I've, I've often noticed is that uh, truly responsible leaders uh, look beyond the immediate bottom line and try to do things that affect society as a whole. Yep. And, and that's what sort of brings me to the, the initiative of financial literacy, Earn Your Future. Now, I will say in the interests of full disclosure that Knowledge at Wharton is a partner with PwC. Right. It is very proud to be a partner with PwC in this initiative. But what inspired you to make financial literacy such a priority for your firm? So like everything else, this isn't a Bob Moritz decision. This was a team decision for us to go forward. We have two fundamental beliefs. One is if you look to today's societal problems, government can't solve them by themselves. Business can't solve them by themselves, nor can the communities solve them by themselves. And particularly if you look over the last five years or so, that's ever more evident than uh, previously. So we had an obligation to step our game up on corporate responsibility broadly. We decided to focus on four areas. One was around pro bono work in the communities uh, because of the difficulties of the economy and the like. Second was this concept of diversity. A third was the concept of going green as you think about the challenges of limited natural resources. And fourth was the education system, particularly youth um, in that, and then we narrowed it down to financial literacy. And the way we got to this particular topic was pretty interesting. 75% or so of the teachers K through 12 don't feel equipped to teach. Turning on its other head, we have 39,000 people that know all of this stuff. That's what they do for a living. To not ask our people to engage in this, I would argue is reckless as a leader because you've misused the assets to serve a higher purpose in society. So we took the opportunity to say, we will do three things. We'll create the curriculum that we'll put online there for free for teachers to use. We started off with 20 courses and went to 30 based upon the demand. We taught teachers, as you know, because obviously the first one was done here on campus. And last but not least, we said we would dedicate a million hours of our people's time to go in the classrooms and co-teach. Huge uplifting opportunity for our individual people because again, our 39,000 people average age of 29, they want to give back too. So you've got to demonstrate to them that their values are consistent with the enterprise's values. It's not always about just the bottom line, it's about doing both. And giving them the opportunity where they see their values and our values aligned actually allows for more stickiness for them to see PwC as an institution that they want to be part of and want to stay with. So we got great benefit in three ways. One is the personal performance of those people is higher now because they feel great that they've contributed. Communities get something back and we're seeing test scores post the instructions go up significantly. And last but not least, there's a business opportunity here in terms of the brand of PwC and what we're all about, which hopefully allows those 39,000 people to say, man, it's unbelievable what PwC does in the marketplace not just how we serve our clients or the corporates or the governments, but rather what we do in the communities as well. So net-net was a win-win-win. We saw it was a great opportunity, and uh, hopefully it's something we can continue for a little long time, but more importantly have a huge impact 
on society and the next generations of future leaders going forward. What's your uh, ambition for the Earlier Future program? Uh, do you plan to go global at some point or limited to the U.S.? So uh, first, from a U.S. perspective, we want to have an impact on two and a half to three million students. These are future leaders, um, you know, 10, 15 years from now. So we want to make sure there's an impact on them and to get allow those individuals who may not as be as fortunate to have the world um, in front of them as a big potential. Uh, we are taking this globally. Uh, we've talked to various other countries now in terms of what to do and how to do that. And again, going back to the first part of the conversation is how do you do that on a culturally sensitive way, respectful of the different preferences or biases, conscious or unwise, otherwise, that might be in certain countries. So we're talking to certain countries. They've actually, in many cases, agreed to do something. So we're bringing all of that together now to take a little bit more global and have an impact on the world as well as in the United States. Great. Uh, I have one last question. Uh, what words of advice would you have for young people who want to become financially literate, but who also want to nurture leadership qualities within themselves? What would you tell them? So <clears throat> to anybody listening, leadership comes from doing the right things when no one's looking, uh, to serving others, not just yourself, and to maximize the team, not you as just the individual. And as I say within PwC, all of people on campus right now are great in terms of their IQ. What we're looking for is the continued ev evolution of their IQ, but more importantly is the the EQ, the CQ, and the PQ. And I call it the emotional quotient, which is the leadership skills, communication skills, people that want to be part of your teams, want to be led by you, inspired by you, and hopefully you share some of yourself to do that. The CQ is that cultural quotient. Um, this country and the world, tremendously diverse, a lot of different perspectives around it. Um, you've got to get out of your own way and think things are different than just the way you were raised. Um, and if you're not willing to take a risk and open yourself up and not willing to at least allow for another point of view, you're missing a big learning opportunity and development opportunity for yourself to be a better leader. And last but not least is this PQ, what I call it, the passion quotient. If you can't wake up every day energized to m make and have an impact, you're not doing what I think is appropriately been given to you as a, a right to have a bigger influence than just yourself. And if you want to be a leader, it's more than just yourself. It's everybody around you, not you. Bob Moritz, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. Happy to be here. Thanks very much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.